Last week, President Biden took to the airwaves in his first televised address from the White House to mark a grim anniversary. One year since the coronavirus was first declared a pandemic. While it was different for everyone, we all lost something. A collective suffering, a collective sacrifice. But Biden also tried to project a sense of hope that this year could be different that maybe we could start easing back to normal this summer. If we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate. Still, there are hurdles ahead. Variants of the coronavirus have been on the rise, and there have been surges of the virus in Europe, raising the question of whether we've actually turned a corner in the pandemic. So this week, at a Wall Street Journal executive membership event, I spoke with Biden's chief medical advisor for the pandemic, Dr. Anthony Fauci. We talked about the road ahead, what it will take to get to those 4th of July barbecues, and beyond. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, March 17th. Coming up on the show, Dr. Anthony Fauci on what it will take for the pandemic to end. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. So we've spoken a number of times over the last year, and now we are marking the one-year anniversary of these chats. And a year in now, we have vaccines, but new COVID infections are still at very high levels. And we also have new, more contagious variants. So would you say the pandemic is ending? No, I don't think we can say that at all uh, for the reasons that you delineated. There are two issues that I think we need to briefly point out. When you talk about the number of daily infections that we have, even though the slope is dramatically coming down from that very, very high level that we had in midwinter, if you look at the slope of the curve, it's starting to plateau somewhere between 50 and 60,000 new infections per day. That is an unacceptably high level to be plateauing at. The next point you make is one that's a good one. We have variants, which are mutational changes in the virus that are circulating. In fact, we have one called B117 that is a variant that is predominant in the UK that by the end of this month of March will likely be the dominant uh, variant or the dominant strain that's circulating in our own society. Thank goodness the vaccine works well against this particular variant, but it spreads more readily than the original virus that we had. And it also is a bit more deadly in the sense of inducing serious illness. 
So we are by no means out of this. This is not the end of the game. How worried should we be about these new variants eroding the efficacy of vaccines and kind of driving up case numbers again? Well, it is an issue that we have to address. And not all variants are the same. There are other variants like the South African variant, the 351. And in a trial that was done by J&J in South Africa, they found that the efficacy against that South African strain was diminished down to around 50%, but it was still quite protective against hospitalizations and death. Now we've got to concentrate on a number of other variants. We have our own homegrown variant. We have the California variant, the 427-429. We have the New York City variant, the 526. So we've got to keep our eye out on these things, which may require that we may need to boost either with the wild-type virus vaccine or as we're doing tests right now, we may need to develop vaccines that match the particular variant. All of this we're observing very, very carefully and will act appropriately according to how these variants evolve. So once we get vaccinated, we might need booster shots. That is quite conceivable that we might need that, yes. So we need to get people vaccinated. What grade would you give the vaccine rollout thus far and why? You know, I don't like to do that, Kate. I've been on interviews with you before. You always want me to grade something, which, as I say, becomes a soundbite, which I don't want to do. I think we're doing pretty well right now. In the beginning, there was not that smooth flow that we have right now. But as the president has mentioned and as we're implementing, you have community vaccine centers, you got community health centers, including in areas that are generally underserved. You have vaccine going into pharmacies. You have mobile units going out into poorly served areas. And you have a lot more people giving the vaccine. I'm talking about the military. I'm talking about people who've retired, such as retired physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers. So there's a lot of activity going on right now to amplify and accelerate the distribution of the vaccines. Okay. What level of vaccination do we need for us to be able to go back to how we used to work in offices, to be able to go to conferences, and to be able to kind of get back to work in a more normal way? You know, Kate, it's not an all or none phenomenon. And we tend to artificially make it that way when we talk about this elusive issue called herd immunity. We can estimate what herd immunity is And by definition, it means that enough people are vaccinated that there's a blanket or an umbrella of protection over the community. So that is what we're striving for. We don't know what that number is. You can estimate that it's somewhere between 70 to 85 percent. But instead of thinking in an all or none phenomenon, think in terms that every day we get between two and three million vaccinations into people's arms. And as we get more and more we're going to get closer and closer to normality, which is the reason why the president has mentioned by the time we get to the 4th of July, we likely would have so many people vaccinated that you could start really think, not completely normal, but certainly approaching as we get into the summer and into the fall, there'll be more and more flexibility of doing things that represent normality more and more. 
when we get to true normality, that's difficult to predict because that's going to depend on a lot of things happening. That the vaccination rolls out properly, that we don't have too much hesitancy, and we don't have the appearance of these variants which could complicate the issue. Do we need kids to be vaccinated to reach that level of normality? Well, if you look at the numbers that if you subtract people less than 18, it would be difficult to get to an arbitrary number of 85 percent. Let's say I've given the bracket somewhere between 70 and 85. I don't know if that's the correct bracket. I think it's reasonable to assume that it is. But you certainly would want some children to get vaccinated and as many as possible to reach that. Let me give you an example of what will happen It is projected now with the clinical trials that they've been designed that we will get children of high school age, that 12 to 18, to be able to be qualified, as it were, on the basis of clinical trial to get vaccinated by the fall. So we would expect that children going into high school in the fall will be able to go in vaccinated. It's a little bit later when you're talking about children of elementary school level We've already started studies, what's called age de-escalation. You go from 12 to 9, 9 to 6, 6 to 2, and then two months to two years old. We can get to that point very likely in the very first part of the first quarter of 2022. So high school kids in the fall, elementary school kids in the first quarter of 2022. That's going to be tough news for my 10-year-old. Well, you know... (laughs) You want to make sure, I think, Kate, I'm glad you brought that up, because children and pregnant women are two of the vulnerable components of our society. So you've got to be very careful that before you assume that everything is okay, you've got to show that it's safe and effective in a group of normal adults, and then you work your way into the more vulnerable population with careful clinical trials to then get linked to the safety and the efficacy of what you've already proven in a normal adult population. So I think you should tell your child, just wait a few more months, they're gonna be okay, hang in there, and the protection of the community will very likely protect your child. You could still safely open schools by providing the kinds of things that allow for a safe opening. It doesn't necessarily mean all the children need to be vaccinated, nor does it mean all the teachers need to be vaccinated. It's related much more towards the level of infection in the community. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. 
states around the country have been rolling back mask mandates and other restrictions. Texas has gotten rid of the mask mandate entirely. New York is allowing more indoor dining. What do you think of these moves? Is it too much too fast? I mean, obviously, you want to give the states a considerable amount of discretion to do what they do in their own state. But I can tell you from a 40,000-foot looking at the broad issue of the country, I think given the level of community infection that we have now, that we see every day, that it's risky because you may trigger another surge the way they are experiencing in Europe. And that's something we want to avoid. In fact, in general, throughout the history of this outbreak, we've kind of followed the European Union by a few weeks in the dynamics of the outbreak. What we saw happen in Europe recently, they did the same thing. They came down, they plateaued, and what they did is they pulled back on their mitigation methods and they had a a rebound. And they're in the process of a rebound now, which is really something we absolutely want to avoid. As people try to reopen businesses and get back to normal and get the economy going, what would you say should be our guiding principles as we try to make calculated risks and return to some semblance of normalcy? Well, there are two things that stand out as we need to pay close attention to. The number of people in society who've gotten vaccinated. Right now, we have 11 to 12 percent of the population is fully vaccinated and more than 20 percent of the population has at least one dose. As you get more and more people vaccinated and as the amount of test positivity goes down and down and down, you will see the CDC in sequential fashion giving the kinds of guidelines the way they did last week when they came out and said, this is what vaccinated people can do in the context of their home setting with other vaccinated people, with people who are not vaccinated. That is the first installment in a series of recommendations regarding the workplace, schools, places of worship, all the kinds of things that people are asking questions about. When can we start doing things that we were not allowed to do previously? And you're going to be seeing that roll out. And the more people we get vaccinated, the lower the level of the viral dynamics in society, the quicker we're going to get to that point. Do you think employers should require vaccination for going back to the office? You know, I don't think that's going to be federally mandated for sure. But I can tell you, just like we've seen historically, if you just go back and look historically, there have been situations where there have been requirements for vaccinations. The most common example is that in our school systems, that in certain school systems, unless you show documentation, vaccination against measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis, etc., you cannot go to school. There are some places where you can't travel unless you show you've been vaccinated against yellow fever, for example. It is entirely conceivable that there will be some organizations, they could be schools, they could be commercial organizations, that might actually make a rule that you can't do this or that unless you're vaccinated. It almost certainly is not going to come from above, 
from the federal government, but I would imagine locally you'll start seeing some of that. Are you planning a barbecue for July 4th? Uh, am I planning a bar? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I've been looking forward to that. And I think that the president's projection, that that is something that we should plan for. His reasoning is quite sound, because if you look at the pace of the people that are getting vaccinated right now, and you look at the fact that we could hopefully get the level of infection down in the community, it is entirely conceivable that we'll be able to participate in that loved tradition that we all grew up with, myself included, of celebrating the birth of our country with nice summer weather outside in a barbecue. I think that's entirely feasible that that will happen. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate it. Thank you, Kate. It's good to be with you. That's all for today, Wednesday, March 17th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.